Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to introduce you to, legitimately, this is my favorite bio point about Jasmine Starr, is that she is one of my favorite people to follow personally on social media. I love her content. It's so practical. It's fun. It's inspiring. Uh, You can just tell that she is one of you, a mission-driven messenger, and she just has become one of the most influential creative entrepreneurs uh, in, in the world. She started as a photographer. She dropped out of law school, picked up the camera, was doing her photography business, and has just since grown this huge personal brand. I got to meet her a few years ago when I was with Lewis at his mastermind event. She was there. And then we kind of lost touch. And now all of a sudden, We're like seeing each other three times here in a matter of two weeks. And her most recent project is something called Social Curator. This is a subscription that is for business owners to help them do social media marketing and keep up with all the trends that are happening, understand how to do it right. And uh, I'm hoping that's a little bit of a preview of what we're going to get today. So Jasmine, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. And Roy, lest you forget... We did not lose touch. Your girl was creeping from a distance. We are just now happy that I can creep openly. So now you know I'm creeping on you openly as opposed to privately. I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and and I know. And so AJ, so my wife and business partner, our CEO, you guys shared the stage at Amanda Tress's event for Faster Way. And Amanda's a close friend of ours. And and you and I are speaking at Chrissy Wright's event here in a few weeks. And it's just awesome. All good company. All good company. It's weird to say, I feel kind of weird to say this, but like I'm I'm so proud of you. Like I I love that you're winning. I love when good people win. I feel like a lot of times not always the good people win but you're like doing it the right way and, and, and really winning. And so, yeah. Thank you. So I have to tell share you, us though, your, share us your ways. Well, okay. Well, before we get, before we get to the ways, cause I'm like, dang, you set that bar really high. You set that bar like Olympic level <laughs> high. Let me lower it a little bit. I have to say that one of the things, and part of the reason why I still feel such a closeness to you and to your business and an affinity for what it is that you teach is when you had started this podcast, you had said, Oh, when we were with Lewis one, that is like an aspirational model. I hope that one day you're on a podcast. Like, well, when we were with Jasmine, when you become just your first name, you know, you've made it. It's kind of like Prince. <laughs> yeah. when, we were, when you guys think of when we were Lewis, everybody knows it was like Lewis house. Like I want people to get to. You're just a letter. That's right. I was with O. (laughs) (laughs) When you own a letter, I was with J. J J Star. There you go. I I can't. You know, very few can get to that singular letter like Oprah. But oftentimes, I feel your presence when I really do talk to a business owners, because one of the things I was a member of Lewis Howe's mastermind, which is where you and I met. And one of the things amongst many that I had learned, and you had an hour presentation and I just had a book full of notes. But one of the things that just has stuck with me for years since that point is what I believed you call, at least I attribute it to you. Every time I, I say this, I'm like, well, Rory Vaden calls it the five X rule. And it was one of the things that you had said is, when you are teaching somebody to do something you do, it will take them 
five times as long to do it, which was such a profound thing because when our paths first crossed three years ago, we had like two people on our team and now we have upwards of 23 and it's always going back to, man, it is really, you got to slow down before you speed up. And so I always think to myself, if it takes me X to do this thing, it's going to teach me and take somebody else five X. So let's build that into our plan. And it's just given us so much permission to slow down before we speed up. So thank you friend for that. that legacy. Well, and you nailed the word. So that permission. So Mm -hmm. for those of you that are listening, so this is from my second book, Procrastinating on Purpose, Five Permissions to Multiply Time, which was what my TED Talk was based on. And and that word is permission. Like it is. So this is the delegate chapter you're talking about. And we we call it the permission of imperfect and granting Mm. someone else the permission of imperfect allows you to free yourself, which I think is, is interesting. So that conversation is about time. And one of the things that we learned when we were studying and putting that together was that 80% done right by someone else is always better than 100% done right by you. Ooh, hold on, hold on. We need to slow that down. That You need to say that again for the people (laughs) in the back because you say it because it's just your truth and you know it. But oftentimes it's like, worry, like say that again. Say it just to me. I'm sure your audience is like, he says it all the time. Listen, I need to hear it in Rory's voice so that it sits in the back in the crevices of my mind. Please pour that on me one more time. I'll say it and then I want to segue to to why I'm saying it again. So 80% done right by someone else is always better than 100% done right by you. Ooh. And we call it the permission of imperfect. And it's, it's it's the struggle is what got you here as a performer won't get you there as a leader because you got here by perfection and being good and crushing it and doing everything neatly and tightly and organized. But when you become a leader, it's not about doing things yourself. It's about getting other people to do. And so you have to grant yourself some imperfect. When I hear you talk about getting on camera and doing reels, that same emotional permission of imperfection is something that I've learned from you is just like, it's the same thing where you go, you got to give up that feeling of control and being perfect so that you can create. I mean, I feel like that's a big part of your message. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. If we can just get down to that, like I've often said, if I could write you a permission slip, I would. In fact, mm. I'm telling you, Rory, I, I have no, I am not writing a book right now. I have no plans. I'm not pitching. So if people are listening, I was like, I'm an agent. No, no, no. I don't need to get the DMs. I'm nowhere near that. I know the title of my book. I know the purpose of my book. Mm. I am not ready to be a vessel for the book. But let me just tell you that what I know to be sh- to be certain is on the very last page, I am going to have a template for a permission slip. Mm. And people are going to write their name in and they're going to write the thing that they want permission to do. And I don't care what you do with that piece of paper. You could put it on mm. your fridge. You could put it on a wall. You could take a picture of it. It could be a screensaver because oftentimes we are looking for people to give us permission when the only people who can give us permission is ourselves. But sometimes Ooh. it's nice to hear it from somebody else. I asked you, Rory, to repeat it back to me because that message is something I needed to hear this week. And I'm going to keep on replaying it because 80% perfect by somebody else is better than 100% perfect by me. And that's the thing I needed to hear. So yes and amen. That's where we're starting this conversation. We are hitting the ground running. I don't even know if people, <laughs> I don't know if people's hearts are prepared. People need to prepare their hearts for the heat 
that the J star and Roy are bringing in. J star. <laughs> J star. <laughs> Let it be done. When you get off this call, you're just going to have to shorten your Instagram handle to just Basically. J star. Basically. This, is, this is happening. <laughs> so can you tell us about the early days? That's one of my favorite things about this show mm-hmm. is, you know, people are listening and it's, you know, they see, they see you and frankly go, holy moly, like this, this woman's awesome. She's crushing it. She's helping people. She's making money, like tons of followers and stuff. And one of the things we want this show to be is tell me how it was when nobody was there. Tell me how it was when you posted a video and there weren't hundreds of thousands of people and there, there weren't views, like, Take us back to how you got started and like, what did you do and, and how did you feel? And like, how did, how did this come about for you? Well, before I answer, I actually do want to call something out. That's like very, very, very clear. And it is my truth is that for every person who says, wow, she's crushing it. She's doing a great job. I know there's about three who are just like, she's a hot mess. She's not that talented. She's not saying anything new. That's not a great idea. In fact, mm. a couple of weeks ago, I was accidentally BCC'd on an email where somebody said, <gasps> yes, yes. Not no. that innovative. I've seen better in reference to the thing that I was working on. And I'm like, I sat on it, Rory. I sat on it. And I was like, should I say something? Am I going to be a petty Betty? And I let it go. And then, <laughs> petty, and then that. said person asked for a favor. Ah! I agreed to the favor. I shared my insight and advice. And I also sent a screen grab. And I just said, I saw it, but we're still cool. But the best thing that you could do in our relationship moving forward is if you tell me directly. And this person mm. agreed. This person agreed. So let's just start there, Rory, because I don't wake up and be like, oh my God, it's so great on social. Everybody loves me. Everybody sees I'm crushing it. No, there are more people who do not like what I do. And to that, I say yes and amen. I would rather be disliked for 100% of who I am than to be liked for a carbon copy of who people think I need to be. So thank you for you thinking, I'm doing great. Thank you for being a champion of who I am. But I also realize there's a ton of people who don't like me, but I would rather have somebody not like me or entirely like me. Being lukewarm, having lukewarm followers is not my cup of tea. That's never Mm. the thing. I would want to do one of two things. And this goes back to building a brand. I want to attract or I want to repel. If I am not doing one of those two things, I'm doing a disservice to my brand and to the experience. I really believe with all of my heart that a personal brand goes farther with a small group of people who wildly believe in the mission and the ethos and who you are than a lot of people who are kind of like, cool, forgettable, not sure I care enough to have an opinion. And so I know that it might be a little counter opposite or a little intuitive. So as I get into like origin stories, like, please know, I don't think... I'm the best thing since like flour tortillas. That's not the case. I I just do my thing. And if some people like it, great. And if others don't, it's equally as great. So one of the things as we kind of started building things out was I am the daughter of an immigrant. I'm first generation Latina, first generation college student, first generation postgrad. I went to UCLA Law School on a full academic scholarship. And I'm also first generation law school dropout. My mom had brain cancer and she had a relapse when I was in my first year of law school. And it really brought to the surface asking a big question of why. 
what am I doing? And I believed that getting a degree or having multiple letters after my name would be the ticket out of the body, would be a way for my family to move from one socioeconomic level to another. But I never asked if that was the thing I was supposed to be doing. And so in culmination with my mom's relapse, in culmination with me being wildly unhappy and in culmination with me having my first bout with depression, I was like, I'm unhappy and this isn't working. And when I gave myself, again, let's talk about permission, is I couldn't give myself the permission to truly ask what it is I was supposed to do. Because that's not when you do when you're a daughter of an immigrant. Like you see your parents do whatever it takes takes, to put food on the table. And so all of a sudden it felt very luxurious for me to like, let me pontificate. What makes me happy? It's a very American notion. What makes me happy? And that's all the thing that my parents wanted, but I felt like the weight and the responsibility being the eldest of five children. And again, it was a story I'm telling myself. So then we're sitting at dinner and my husband has the conversation and says, well, what do you want to do? And it was the first time in my entire life where I'm like, what do I want to do? And I vocalized that I wanted to be a photographer. And he said, great, but you don't own a camera. Oh, no. Step one. That might help. So decide to get a camera. And the thing that I realized as most people starting any, anything What year is this? The conversation happens in 2005. Okay. I get a camera 2006. Okay. I get my first gig, paid gig, late 2006. And then 2007 is when I file a DBA. Like 2007 is my first year of business. And I was terrible. I was terrible. I wasn't even bad. It was like, so my daddy is the pastor of a church in East Los Angeles. All and right. so you know you're really bad when parishioners of the church don't even want you to shoot their photos for free. Like you got <laughs> you got to be real bad. I was like, y'all don't love God. Like you know, it's like there's like where is the nepotism here? So you know you, that's the case. But the thing that I started to do, which was very new at the time, was to share what I was learning. And a lot of people who were seasoned in the industry, if they happened to see the content that I was putting out, and by this time there wasn't social media, it was just putting out on a blog. I was putting out the blog on my journey, what I was doing, what I was learning, the pitfalls and the struggles. And people who were seasoned who happened to see that would be like, well, that's a stupid idea. Nobody, like, nobody cares hmm. where you're going on vacation or nobody cares what you're shooting, sweetheart. Why don't you just get a camera and get some practice? And number one, I agree with the sentiment, but what happened was the climate of the way that businesses were being built was wildly changing. And the thing that I understood early on as a result of putting stuff out imperfectly was that people were buying a highly emotional service, wedding photography, which is the thing that I was doing, having no idea of the like intellectual property or the talent that it took to create the thing that we did. So photographers want to lead with the camera, the gear, the awards, the studio, the albums, the flash. And then along comes somebody and breaks the paradigm of Listen, you're selling something that people really don't understand. If I could sell on emotion that somebody would invest in me as a photographer, in addition to the photography, the game shifted. That's what I started to do. So I was writing blog posts when nobody were reading blogs. I started getting on Twitter, early days of Twitter. And I'm just like, let me just see what I can do here. And I realized that what was happening on the blog was unidirectional conversation. I was writing about what I was doing and people would come and read, but it was coming to me, very little dialogue. Twitter changed the game and that the dialogue became two-way. And I started realizing that I can create experiences, having somebody have an affinity toward me or the thing that I was creating simply by responding. Now, this is not, I was having a, a two-way conversation because my work was so good or my business savvy was so impeccable. It was truly, people started caring about what I was producing simply because I cared about them. So I learned that in 2009, 2010, and that has been 
foundational when it comes to building a brand on social and on the next big thing. People are like, oh, well, Jasmine's about Instagram. And I was like, yes, but I was about blogging heavily. I was getting 25,000 unique views a day before social media came around. And I started realizing, okay, I'm going to start building hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter. And then all of a sudden Facebook came around and I did the same with hundreds of thousands on Facebook. So you tell me the next thing I need to do. So worry, if you were to tell me, Jasmine, to build a personal brand, you need to ride two donkeys and a clown suit and be whistling a kazoo. Watch me buy a kazoo. Like (laughs) I will do whatever it takes to make somebody feel something about me. And I'm less concerned about being perfect, the most talented, the most qualified or the richest. That to me, and I could be wrong to me, a foundation of a brand is what somebody says about you when you're not in the room. And the way that you buttress what people say is about caring about them first before you want them to care about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so good. Although I do think J-Star could be a kazoo superstar. <laughs> why don't we, why don't we, for every person who leaves a review for the podcast, we send a little J-Star kazoo. <laughs> J-Star kazoos. Blown up the Shopify store. J-Star kazoos. Hi, it's AJ Vaden. And thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. That's the irony of the whole personal brand. Like even the, even the, even the name personal brand, it's like, it makes you think it's about you. And it's like, it's not about like the more you, the irony is the more you care about yourself, the more you're worried about what other people think, the more you're trying to put out perfect content for you, like the less effective it feels like it's it's such a great paradox. Yes. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Like you have a stronger personal brand when people have an opinion about you. <laughs> like you have a stronger personal brand when people feel like you are never above taking the time that you have to respond to a question or comment. Now, do I think that you need to respond to every comment in every DM? Well, depends on your bandwidth. But as long as you know you're walking in integrity, that you're doing as much as you can, however you can, then anybody else can't expect enough. And people feel it. People do feel it. Yeah. So I want to talk about the platforms for a second because, you know, the principle here is the same. And I think Brand Builders Group operates more in principles than we do in tactics. Like we're, frankly, we've never been that strong at like the keeping up. We're not moving fast enough. I think a lot of times to keep up with some of the tactics and the algorithms and things like that. But the, you went from blogging to Twitter, to Facebook, Instagram, these, you've applied YouTube in the middle. The YouTube in the middle and then Snapchat and Pinterest and Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. Are you still doing all of them? Like, so are you still doing all them? Is there one that you're hanging out that, you know, people talk about, oh, the platforms are different. Do you feel like they're really different or is there, are there principles that make them the same? And then kind of like, where are you now? Like, where do you see this going? So they're, they're different enough. And that's the thing that I I really want to put like a little, a, a little bit of a pin in is that I am not choosing a platform based on where I want to be. 
In fact, my preferred platform is not where my customer is now, but I do believe mm. it's where my customer will be in the future. Where I, if I have free time to spend on social, I'm going to TikTok. I just think it's fascinating. I think the algorithm is spot on. I think that they serve up content so it almost feels like you like lift your head up and you're like, where did two hours go? And you know that they've hit on something when you hear that quite often from a lot of its users. And so am I still active on Facebook? Yes. Am I still active on YouTube? Yes. Am I still active on Twitter? Yes. Do I have a Pinterest strategy? Yes. Am I still blogging? Yes. Am I on Instagram? Yes. But mm. oftentimes we talk about like having a pillar strategy. So it's quite often, and I have a podcast, the Jasmine star show. So we have two pieces of anchor content. It might come in the form of a long form blog post or the form of, of a podcast. And then based on the topics of the blog post or the podcast, we then can create subsidiaries for each of our social platforms. Because Facebook, you can get a little bit more long form than people are used to normally reading on Instagram. So what we can do is we create like our primary platform. And that for me, where our customers for social curator are right now is Instagram. That's where they're spending most of their time. My focus is on Instagram. And then we have like a tailwind from there. So it's like a week and four hours later, that post slightly different copy so that it's tailored for the Facebook group, uh, Facebook users, and it feels native. So anything that like at mentions or hashtags that existed on Instagram, they're not going to be pushed over automatically to Facebook. We have to contextualize the content that we have. And then another four hours later, we'll be putting that out on LinkedIn. If we created a video like an IGTV, that is edited in a vertical format. So it feels native to the platform, but then it'll also be edited in a horizontal format so that when we put it on YouTube or we put it on Facebook, it feels native to it. So I don't think that I am like so all knowing to create and choose a platform. I am just saying the more that the social curator content exists on these platforms, the higher likelihood it is to find a customer. Now, I know that sounds wildly overwhelming to a lot of people, but I've been doing it now a decade. So I can think, I think in content. And you got 23 content. people on the team. You've yes, but, team but, but it's not for my personal brand. That's for social oh, curator. Oh, most of that's for social curator. Oh, for, the for vast, ma- yeah, the vast gotcha. majority, definitely. So, so are you still, are you editing all that? You're not editing uh, I, all that I don't yourself. edit, no I way. don't edit videos. I have a videographer, oh. but when it comes to creating reels, I am creating reels. When it comes to recording podcasts, I'm recording the podcast. We ha- do have a podcast producer, but it's like for us, it's like I'm doing like intro, body, outro, and th- we don't have any ads. So it's, we try to keep it as streamlined as possible. We want to work smarter, not harder. Now, having said all of that, if somebody's listening and immediately hears and says, this is so not for me, great. It's pushed you. Remember, I only want to attract or repel. So if I'm repelling you in such a way, let me see if I can bring you back into the fold with one thing. Can you choose just one platform? And it's not the platform that you really like because you might just love Instagram. But if you know your customers on Facebook groups, okay, then you separate your time with where you want to consume versus where you want to create. And once you've chosen where you want to create on the platform that you think is most inclined where your dream customer actually exists, then your strategy is just to focus on that platform. And crazy enough, and just test me on this, the more that you've become familiar with one platform, the easier it is to scale when you go to a second. But right now, resist the temptation to create for all platforms in all ways. Focus on one, build out the strategy, see what's working, and see if you can duplicate it on a secondary platform at a later point in time. And to what you're saying, because we we teach something called the content diamond, which is a very you know similar kind of thing where you're just taking one piece of content and and, and fractionalizing. If you have the team or you have the capacity, you can do it. So it's not that you're creating unique content for each platform. Correct. It's that you're contextualizing the Correct. content you have for each platform. Correct. 
Correct. Yeah. And whereas right now, Instagram is heavily indexing on Instagram reels. Well, there was a time where I was testing repurposing the reels onto Facebook and it just didn't work. That was just it. Like the views weren't there. It just sat, there was really low engagement. And so what I took from that, which is very clear, is that people on Facebook are not about reels. So when I'm posting a reel, I will not be repurposing it on to Facebook. I might repurpose a reel onto Facebook stories because it disappears after 24 hours. And a reel on Facebook stories looks a little bit more native to that platform, which is fine. But what would go in its place would be something entirely else that's going to be serving the Facebook audience in a way that they deem most valuable. And so how do you know, like you've said a couple of times, like go where your audience is, by the way, my personal brand, when we exited our former in 2018, we had to start over from scratch. All our social media, zero podcast, zero email database back on zero. So it's been interesting building it from 2018 on versus when we had originally Ooh, started. Yes. It was like back in 2008. Okay. But our team kind of run, we run the content diamond on my stuff. But what AJ does, we're just now starting to build. AJ has been building most of the company. She's the CEO. Like she's really been focused on the company. We're starting to build out her personal brand. But what she's been doing in the interim is exactly what you said. She consumes on Instagram, but she creates for LinkedIn. I was going to say that. I was like, y'all know you guys are on LinkedIn. Like that's, you know, that that's your platform easily. Easily. Yeah. And That's she great. has a lot of traction there. And, you know, she just like That's has great. a lot of that background that like B2B. So she, she does it. But when you say go where your audience is in terms of mm-hmm. where do you create for, are you doing that based on demographic data of who the users are? Are you doing that based on UTM tracking based on who's clicking through and coming into funnels and buying? Is there some other measure? Like, how do you, like you're saying your audience right now is on Instagram. But you're not saying that's because you like to be on Instagram yourself necessarily. So how are you coming up with that answer? So we know that our dream customer is 33 years old and she lives in Manhattan Beach and she has two boys, age three and five, and she drives a white and black Range Rover and her husband is a lawyer and they met in college. We also know that she was raised on a goat farm in Ojai, California, which is where she developed her craft at creating goat's milk soap, which she started selling in Manhattan Beach Farmer's Market, where she came across a buyer from Anthropology who really liked her product. And then she just realized that if she wanted to create a business, she could no longer have a hobby disguised as a business, but to actually create a business. And it's at this point in time where she's looking at how does she create the marketing resources and building brand resources online. And that is how our paths intersect. And you're, I, and you're, I just you're described, saying she's on Instagram. In order to determine well, the platform you should be creating on, you must first and foremost know who your customer is. Because if your customer is 33 years old with two kids in an affluent area and educated at this point in time, she's on Instagram. Now, if you're creating resources for millennials and like it's a printed tea shop, despite what people say, Snapchat is alive and well. I would over-index on Snapchat if I was creating that type of content. I'd also go over to TikTok. Now, if my target demo is a 49-year-old professional male or female who has expendable income to invest in like my business coaching, marketing resources, whatever the case may be, I'd be on LinkedIn. So again, part of why people have a difficult time choosing the platform is they need to first and foremost clearly identify who they're selling to. And then you could just simply look at the analytics. Where are those people at? And then you go there. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. How do you make money from all this? So you put in all all this work and you never sell on social media. Like it's all this value. You're just, you know, like 
where does the money happen? Because if you just go online and you make reels of like five reasons you should, you know, buy my program, right? Like no one's going to watch that. So how do you make that transition from I'm providing value and adding content to I'm converting a customer and collecting money because mama's got to pay the bills? So it's not a one size fits all answer, but what I can say, and you and I had a conversation earlier today. And so forgive me for repeating, but I firmly believe that a strong entrepreneur does um, three things in their business. They build a brand, they market their business, and they get sales. That's like, that's the three. I mean, obviously there's a lot, lot of minutia and nuance in that, but those are the three main pillars. Social media is so good at building brand giving somebody an emotional response to who you are or what it is you sell. The more that you give, aka the more that you give away content, what you share your insight, your resources, how you're set apart, bringing people on your journey, that's all brand building. What is somebody saying about you when you're not in the room? AKA, when are they sending a post to one of their friends who says, you really got to check out this Rory guy? That's when is the, that happening? That's, that's the brand. test right there. When they, that's say, when they send their best friend and they're like, Thank you, you. got to see this. That's Thank like you. But that's legit. brand. Now, when somebody is getting somebody else to co-sign that brand experience, they're going to get to your page. And once they scroll past two or three posts, you're now marketing. You are then there to set somebody up to educate them on what it is you do. That's marketing. You're not selling at this point in time. You're just talking about the benefits. You're talking about testimonials. You're talking about insights. You're talking about how it is that you do what you do. When you talk about this diamond thing, I'm so intrigued. One thing that I could do a heck of a lot better job is like owning frameworks. You're like the 5X rule. I remember now I'm like, he's diamonding fractionalist content. And here I'm like, (laughs) we have pillars. Either way, we can definitely get better at that. But that's marketing. Now, you'll be hard pressed for me to be creating a lot of content selling social curator. What we try to do is to create multiple funnels of getting people in by giving Mm. value. We know that our conversions are quite high because far before that, they have typically been on our list or in a funnel for more than four months. Now let's pause here. Social curator is $49 a month. For some people, that's like blink away money. For other business owners, that's a considerable chunk of money each month. However, if it took on average four months to convert somebody new on the list or in the funnel to actually a paying subscriber, how much more longer will it take for somebody to convert somebody at a $500 price point, a $5,000 price point, Mm. a $50,000 price point? A lot of the misconceptions when it comes to, I'm doing this work and I'm not getting sales. And I'm like, yeah. How much is your product or service? The more expensive it is, the longer the gestation period will be to convert them strictly on the back of social, which is why whenever I get a DM and someone says, Jasmine, I really want to learn how to build a brand. I'm not using my two thumbs to be like, well, first things first, make like one, you're not paying me for consulting. So what I want to do is I need a list of top 10 frequently asked questions. And then I created a free resource that number one, serves the heck out of them. Number two, gives them such high valuable content. And number three, empowers me to build trust. Now, when somebody says, Hey, Jasmine, I'm really wanting to build my personal brand. What I do is like, I'm so happy you're here. Let me give you a download link to a free brand building guide. I drop the link for them. When someone's like, Jasmine, I'm having a difficult time with Instagram reels. Here, here's a link of a resource that I created step-by-step on how for you to do that. Jasmine, I really need an Instagram marketing guide. Got that for you. So what I'm doing is list building in my DMs because having somebody, a pay to click from an Instagram post is so, 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 so highly unlikely and largely happens for lower ticket items. And I'm telling you that as a monthly subscription for $49, the push to click to buy is so low. What we have to do is cultivate, give trust, give so much value that they believe when they hand over their credit card, they're going to be getting a five or 10 X return based on if that's what I got for free. Imagine when I get on the inside. Mm-hmm. That's that's so convicting to hear you say that your level going, 
even for me, to get someone to pull their credit card out for 49 bucks a month, it's hard. Like oh, yeah. people, people have 25 people show up for one webinar and no one buys and they go, this stuff doesn't work. And it's like, no, like it takes trust. It's trust. Oh. You have to build trust. And yeah. So the- Rory, if we, if we tap there for a second, you just said 25 people come on a webinar. Now, if you're converting on a webinar, I tip my hat to you. That's hard. That's the, where the gangsters play because you're giving your heart and soul and you're speaking for 35 to 47 minutes before you get into a pitch. And then you sit and you hear crickets. And even though you had 25 people to show up for the webinar, you know, by the time you started pitching about four to 5% of them just completely clicked away and they're just waiting to get to that free Q and a, and then you're like giving your last breath and you don't see a single conversion. Now we have to say that none of that was in a void. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. That's just their inception point. When I teach a webinar, worry, we will get on average 30,000 people to sign up and around 3,000 people will convert. You think I'm crying or bemoaning about the 27,000? I say, no, mm. you might've said no, but I don't hear no. What I hear is not yet. My objective is to come back and outserve you so that you're like, man, I tried, I tried, and I couldn't resist giving her my credit card. For the 27,000, I just wanna be like, thank you for coming to the party, we're just getting started. I think that that approach is so much of a better because it keeps you going and it re- gives you a reason every day to get up and outserve. Amen. That is where we're going to land the plane. Jasmine, where should people go to learn about you and social curator and everything you're up to? I appreciate you so much. On all social platforms, you can find me at Jasmine Star and you can find the rest of what we do at socialcurator.com. Uh-huh. It will be J-Star, but not yet. It's still Jasmine. <laughs> it is still Jasmine The kazoos. <laughs> let's build up. Let's go and get that URL, like J-Star kazoos. Let's, let's make uh, it happen on Shopify. <laughs> uh, I love it. Well, thanks for encouraging Thank and just, just the honesty here. Just keep doing what you're doing. Like Thank you're inspiring people and just keep winning because you inspire me. I know you inspire AJ and so many people of just, it's tactical and all that, but it also gives you hope that, you don't have to be a shyster to do this. Like no. you don't have to be someone that's hawking your stuff and pitching your stuff and making wild claims. And you don't have to use flashing yellow boxes all the time. And like, you can just outserve people and just love on them and build, build trust. And it still, it still, it comes around. So Ooh, we yes, thank you. Amen. I thank you, Roy. Thank you a thousand times over. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free lifetime access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we will get you set up with free lifetime access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.